On the morning of October 1st, 1919, the sun rose in a clear blue sky over the city of Cincinnati. The temperature would climb to a sultry 83 degrees by mid-afternoon. It was almost too good to be true, for the forecast had been ominous. From early morning, the sidewalks were jammed. A brightly clad band marched through the streets playing, There'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. Stores were open, but business came to a standstill. There was only one thing on everybody's lips, the World Series. Cincinnati had never been host to a World Series before, nor did its citizens dream, at the start of the season, that the Reds would do much better than last year's week third in the National League. Somehow the Reds had worked a miracle, which is exactly what the fans called their triumph. For winning the pennant, manager Pat Moran was known as the Miracle Man. Cincinnati is nuts with baseball, wrote syndicated columnist Bugs Bear. They thought to call this town Cincinnati. The first two games of the series were to be played here, and every seat had long since been sold. Elliot Asinoff, Eight Men Out, The Black Sox and the 1919 World Series. As Gandal mentioned, the mysterious nighttime phone calls and his sleepless strolls through the city affected Sicot to the point that he considered withdrawing from the deal altogether. Gene Carney, who later wrote extensively about the scandal, once said Sicot had the keenest conscience. This really bothered him. He was a Catholic, and he later talked to his priest and other friends about it. Gandal added, The next morning I was called to a meeting of the eight players. Everyone was upset, and there was a lot of disagreement. But it was finally decided that there was too much suspicion now to throw the games without getting caught. We weighed the risk of public disgrace and going to jail against taking our chances with the gamblers by crossing them up and keeping the $10,000. We were never remorseful enough to want to return the ten grand to Rothstein. We gambled that he wouldn't dare do anything to us, since he was in no position himself to make a fuss over the cash. Our only course was to try to win, and we were certain that we could. But when we trotted out on the field that day for the opener, we were still a tense bunch of ball players. And as if things weren't bad enough, some joker in the stands yelled to Sicot, Be careful, Eddie! There's a guy looking for you with a rifle! This last remark proved to be too much for the conscientious Sicot, who was unusually terrible as the starting pitcher for Game 1. The plan that everyone had agreed to called for him to either walk or hit the first pitcher to come up to bat, which was the signal for those watching in person or listening on radio that the fix was indeed on. When Sicot pegged poor Maury Rath of the Reds in the back with his second pitch, those in the know assumed that everything would go as planned. However, they did not take into account Sicot's nerves. As one Associated Press article reported, it was a sad day for Eddie Sicot, leading pitcher of the Junior League. Never before was so decisive a beating administered to the Michigan Wonder. He was simply pounded out of the box. Five runs were recorded against him in the fourth before manager Gleason gave him the sign to retire. His teammates gathered around him and patted him encouragingly on the back, but he walked from the diamond with his head hanging. Wilkinson succeeded him on the mound while the last inning was pitched by Grover Laudermilk, but it made little difference to the National League champions. They kept the air fairly clogged with fugitive hits while the Sox fielders ran their legs off after terrific flies.